Amen to that. Thank you so much for uh, your participation in worship this morning. I want to say good morning to each of you. I'm thankful that you're here today. Uh, If you're joining us online, we're thankful that you've tuned in and uh, joined us as well. Uh, I know it's, it's been mentioned once, but as we begin, I want to do as we have each of the last few weeks in asking you uh, if you would join me in thanking Stephanie Dow for sharing part of her testimony this morning. I understand that Stephanie and uh, Presley are homesick this morning, but uh, as I know a number of our other people are, but um, thankful that they're able to watch online too. I want to I just mention, as we were thinking about this series, you know, one of the messages that we wanted, Chris and I talked about wanting to communicate uh, that we hoped would come through and all the things that we are doing over the last several weeks that we're doing today uh, is that if you are experiencing things like doubt or grief or anxiety or depression, um, that you would know that you're not alone. And um, that sometimes, um, you know, we, there, that message could be communicated a lot of different ways, the message of you not being alone. But we felt like that one way that it would be powerfully communicated would be the, through the stories of some of our, our people. And so I want to just express again how appreciative I am of Stephanie and Austin and Carrie and Mike uh, for the things that they've shared and their testimonies that we've heard over the last four weeks as they have challenged us, encouraged us, uh, brought tears to our eyes, um, softened our hearts, and really set the tone for our conversations each week that we've had. So, uh, And you, you probably all know this because you know I have very little technology skill that Chris has done all of those videos that look so good, have been very professional, and so be sure to thank him as well uh, for the work that he has put into making sure to capture those stories in such a powerful way. I want to say too that next week uh, begins the Advent season, uh, the first Sunday, uh, the last Sunday of Thanksgiving, which you know typically ends up being the, f- the first Sunday after uh, thanks to the f- last Sunday of November, which ends up being the first Sunday after Thanksgiving, I'll get it out here in a second, uh, is the beginning of the Advent season. And uh, it's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, this year, like has happened in past years, uh, I-, I do a plan a sermon series with my good friend and brother Matt Pugh at Country Bible Church, and we uh, we have been preparing for several weeks now our series that will take us through the Advent and Christmas season. Uh, if you're new to our church family and you're not familiar with, uh, f- with Advent and all that, we'll talk a lot more about that in the, in the next several weeks. But all of that culminates in a Christmas Eve service that we have that we're hosting this year. It's a service for our community, but it's also a combined service with our church and with Country Bible Church. And so uh, make sure to be, be looking for that, thinking about that. But as I was thinking about the things we've been talking about over the last several weeks, and then the timing of we intentionally planned it this time of the year, kind of leading into the holidays, which can be a difficult time for people a lot of times uh, who are going through things like doubt and grief and anxiety and depression. Um, I just I, was, I think that it's, it's, it's turned out to be a really powerful thing that we're moving from this conversation into the Advent season. Uh, a time during Advent when we really are celebrating and remembering two things. One, that Christ has come once as a baby and that because we live on this side of that event, that Christ is coming again and that we're longing for and waiting for Christ's return in the same way that those early Jews would have been waiting for and longing for Christ's first arrival. And so I think it's a great uh, follow-up to this series. I'm excited to start 
that next week. I'll have a lot more to say about that and uh, hope you'll be, make plans to come and be a part of that. But today, today we're going to conclude this series and thinking about our, our mental health, our emotional health, our spiritual health. Uh, we've already discussed, as I've said, things like doubt and grief and anxiety. And today we're going to talk about depression. I want to start by just defining this word, talking about this word. The word depression is derived from the Latin word, which means to press down, to press down. Uh, Depression is a word that describes, really essentially, it's one word that describes a variety of symptoms, a variety of things that we feel, uh, things like prolonged heaviness, feeling downcast. Um, it's It's estimated that by the age of 65, Seven out of every ten women and four out of every ten men in our country will experience a depressive episode. Um, Antidepressant use and medication has jumped significantly, and some of that's a good thing over the last 15 years. One out of every nine Americans right now are currently on an antidepressant medication, which is also okay. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, and I share all of that just to make sure that we understand sort of the, the way that this reality has impacted lots and lots of people, people in your life, people in my life, many of us uh, who have experienced this. So for those who have never experienced a season of depression, one of the questions that often comes up is that someone may have is, what does depression feel like? If I, if I were to have depression and I've never experienced it, what does it feel like? And we're going to talk some more about that in the panel in just a little, in a little while, but Actually, there was a couple of hashtag, a popular hashtag that appeared on Twitter a couple of years ago uh, where people would go online and they would put this, they would make a comment and then they would put this hashtag at the end of their comment to describe to them what depression felt like. And I just want to read some of the things that people said depression felt like. The first one was depression feels like you've lost something, but you have no clue when or where you had it. Depression feels like a terrible sinking sensation, another person said. Depression feels like missing my friends, but not having the energy to interact with them. Depression feels like a void that sucks in all of your thoughts of being capable and worthwhile and lovable and replaces those with a crushing fear of failure, another person said. Someone else said, depression feels like walking around in a bubble of tar. Someone said, depression feels like it's, it's like someone came along and stole all the pleasure in my life. The things I used to enjoy have become empty and meaningless, and it's a struggle to just exist. Every ounce of strength goes into just getting to the end of the day. It, I feel like a, a battery that never gets enough time to recharge fully before I'm using all of the energy again. Depression feels like you're drowning, another person said, but no one can see that you're drowning, and the one... The people who can see often just yell, swim. Depression feels like every dark thought you can think coming to your mind all at once and you can't switch them off. Even the simple things seem as if you're climbing the tallest mountain when you do them. Maybe you can relate to some of those responses to what depression feels like or you know someone who can relate to some of those responses. Depression is not a new idea, right? It's, it's an idea that's been around a long time. And in fact, we see a number of places. I don't have time to talk about all the places in Scripture where people speak of going through seasons of depression. 
Uh, one place in Scripture where you get some insight into the way uh, that people feel and some of the, the, the moments where people have felt like this is in the Psalms. There's a lot of different places in the Psalms that I could look this morning, that, but they're filled with people expressing in a variety of ways how they feel. And the word that they often use is downcast. That's a word that you, it's not a word we use much anymore when somebody is downcast, but it's a word you see show up a lot in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. This idea of being pressed down or downcast, going through a, a season of depression. Often in the Psalms, when people are feeling downcast, they ask questions like the one that shows up in Psalm chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Why, Lord, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself from me in times of trouble? The question, of course, then, of, that we might ask with this question is, does God ever leave us? Of course not. The answer is no to that. But sometimes it feels like that when you're in the midst of a moment of feeling downcast. Questions like this show up in a number of other places as well. Psalm 13 is another one I think of. Think of. But Psalm 42 is the one I want to look a little closer at and a little longer passage here. But listen to what Psalm 42 says. As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, the Mount Mazar. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You hear in, the, in these words the tension, don't you? Like the wrestling that's happening, this sort of back and forth. Three times the word downcast shows up in this passage. This graphic language is used. My tears have been my food day and night. My bones have been in agony, he says in another part of that chapter. He even asks why. Why am I downcast? Which is a feeling that people who are depressed can relate to. Why am I going through this? You heard Stephanie sort of allude to that in her testimony. He doesn't quite know what's wrong in Psalm 42. He just knows that something is wrong. And this is true of moments when people are depressed, when they feel like they're in a depressive state. You can get this way. And the psalm, the writer of the psalm is sort of fighting internally. You can hear the language, right? Put your hope in God, and yet I also am recognizing that tears have been my food day and night. Back and forth, there's this internal struggle that's going on. You see this internal struggle show up as well in the life of Job. And we don't have time at all to go through Job's story, but Job suffers catastrophic loss and experiences depression as a result over and over and over throughout the book of Job. There are these examples of things that he does, wanting his life to end and not understanding what's going on and not wanting to be around people and you know all, all of these things that, that are very characteristic of the kinds of things people experience when they go through depression. Another place that you see this show up, and maybe, maybe one of my favorites just because of the overall story, is recorded in the life of Elijah the prophet, 
who experiences feelings of depression. And his, the part of this story we're going to focus on is recorded in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter, uh, chapter 18 and 19. And just to kind of set up the part that we're going to read really quickly, in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's this powerful scene that plays out. People have turned away from God and they're not following God. And Elijah goes up to Mount Carmel, to the top of this mountain, and has this this epic duel, this epic battle with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And it's this, this showdown, essentially, about whose God is more powerful. Is it Yahweh God or is it the, the God Baal? And so the prophets of Baal get up there to the top of the mountain and and Elijah gets up to the top of the mountain and and they begin to have this this duel, this battle to see how how this altar can be lit with fire. Ultimately, God wins the duel, sending fire from heaven to consume the altar that had been built and that had been doused with water over and over and over again. At the end of 1 Kings 18, all the prophets of Baal are killed and God is victorious. And you can imagine sort of coming off of this dramatic scene that plays off. You're, you're feeling pretty energetic. You're pretty, feeling pretty good about your situation. You're, you have seen God put his full power on display. And you've seen God work and you've started to see maybe this will be the thing that will turn people's hearts back to God. And Elijah's thinking that maybe this would be the thing that people would witness God's power and their hearts would be turned back to him. But it doesn't turn out that way doesn't turn out the way that he thinks. There's a a queen in the story, Queen Jezebel, who hears about her prophets all being killed and makes plans to take Elijah's life in retaliation. And she sends a messenger and tells Elijah that she's coming for him. And so naturally, right, this queen who has power and influence and plenty of resources at her disposal, this makes Elijah nervous. And so he runs for his life. He goes into hiding. And it seems as you hear the part of this story that we're going to read that Elijah is experiencing some depression. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 19. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey further into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I want to just kind of leave that up for just a minute. I want you to think about his words. A lot of you may have heard this story before and not heard it in the context of talking about Elijah's mental health. But I want you to think about what he's saying as he sits there under the shade of that bush as he begins to fall asleep, right? He has this incredible mood swing. He's experienced the highest of highs on the top of Mount Carmel and seeing God put his full power on display. And he goes now to the lowest of lows. And now he says, I've had enough. I want my life to be over. I have no desire to continue on. If you keep reading the story, you know that an angel comes to him and brings him food and makes sure he has enough rest, things which are often helpful when you're experiencing depression. But in this moment, he's, he's depressed. He's discouraged. It's not just, though, we've looked at Psalms and I've referenced Job. We've talked about Elijah. It's not just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, we get this really raw, honest, transparent picture of the Apostle Paul. 
Paul, and maybe in this in the letter to the, to the Corinthian church, the second letter to the Corinthian church, is maybe as honest and transparent as he is in any of other, his other writings. He starts 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, talking about what he's experienced. Listen to what he says. He says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. We felt we had received the sentence of death. Now, right after this, he does say, right, that we experience this sentence of death. We experience this difficulty so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who has the power to raise the dead. And you've, most of you have heard me preach before. You know that that's, I'm going to focus on that most of the time. And I think that's where we should focus most of the time, that God, we serve a God who has the power to raise the dead. That's true even when we're experiencing things like depression, but I also don't want to just brush past the fact that Paul is feeling a particular way. And I want to acknowledge that most of the time, the resurrection, the, power, the, the fact that God has the power to bring people back to de- from the dead, gets the attention. And for this moment, I want to be honest about the fact that Paul also feels real pressure, despair, and death. He is being raw, he is being honest, he is being transparent. And this is just the first chapter. Later in the the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 7, he writes these words. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts those that are downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us of your longing for for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. You hear in in his words here this both gratitude for the support and comfort that he received in the midst of his feelings, but also him being very honest, saying, here is the the things that I'm, I'm experiencing. Here's how I'm experiencing life right now, the things I'm wrestling with, the things I'm struggling with. And I share those examples of kind of a quick snapshot in Scripture to talk about some of the ways that you see this idea in Scripture. People experiencing these feelings of being pressed down, of being downcast. A couple of things I want to say about depression specifically, if I can just speak directly to you for just a moment. The first thing is that many of the examples that we've just looked at, many of the examples that you will find in Scripture are probably best described as the kind of depression that comes, comes as a result of uh, circumstances. Some people might call it like environmentally rooted, right? It's rooted in other outside circumstances, um, which is, you know, moments you feel crushed by despair, hopelessness, which can be understandable if you're experiencing something really difficult. And there are many times when depression happens because of this, right? Factors outside of your control. Factors that, you, that are beyond your immediate doing. But many times when depression happens, it's not, it's not based on or rooted in circumstances. It has nothing to do with, with that. Depression can also be biochemically rooted, Right, and I'm not the expert about this. I'm going to let Aaron and Betty and Matt speak to that more in the panel in a minute. But I, I do know that when someone is experiencing depression that's rooted in a that's in their body, is biochemically rooted, that there is something that can actually happen in our bodies where a, a person experiences an inability to cope or to function. 
without some tools, without some resources that they can, they can use to help them be able to cope and function. And in those cases, our bodies and our brains need help or may need help regulating those moods and those emotions. Help creating space to connect with other people, which is one of the things that becomes difficult when someone is depressed. How do I connect with other people? I want to connect with other people, but I don't have the energy to do that. Which leads me to the other thing I want to say about depression. And this sort of came up last week when we were talking about anxiety. But it is not morally wrong or a sin to experience depression. Depression is a sign that you are experiencing something in your body that needs to be addressed for sure. But depression is, is like, think of it like the body's defense, the body's response, like a pain in your body. Depression makes you aware of something that is happening that requires your attention. But it doesn't mean that you are wrong or that you have done something wrong as a result. And thankfully, in situations like this where we experience this, there are medicines that can help at times. Medicine can be a helpful tool if that's what it takes for you. It's okay. And I want to I say that today, that it's okay, right? It doesn't mean that you are weak or that a person lacks faith. It, it mean, what it means is that you're a human being and that your body is experiencing something that it needs help with. And again, as I said last week, talking about anxiety, the same is true here. We believe as followers of Jesus that doctors and medicine and counselors and therapists are gifts from God. They've been given skills and talents that can be used to help human beings navigate life. And what I hope happens is a by, kind of a byproduct of this series and talking about this, these topics is that we're able to sort of begin to chip away at the stigma that may exist about not only depression, but also specifically about medication. Uh, because unfortunately, think about this, unfortunately, and, and even if you've never said it, you know the idea exists, right? And unfortunately, somewhere along the way, this idea began to emerge. And, and I think, honestly, it, it exists at probably more in some in like Christian culture than it does just in the larger culture. But this idea began to exist that allows us to get surgery for a torn ACL or take medication for our high blood pressure or cholesterol. But when it comes to the treatment of our brains, right, somewhere this idea emerged that the healing for that should only come through faith in God. And I want to say this morning, I don't think it's either or. Right? The brain is a part of our bodies, and I think there is a place for medicine to be considered as a part of the healing process. And we're going to talk some more about that in a little while. We want to hold on to faith as people of God. We want to hold on to our faith in God to work in our lives, to lead us through dark valleys, to bring us through whatever we experience in our bodies. Right? But we want to also recognize that sometimes God uses other people in other ways to help that. C.S. Lewis has a really great quote, I think, that speaks to this idea that sort of exists in our world. He says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It is easier to say, my tooth is aching, than to say, my heart is broken. I think C.S. Lewis is on to something, right? That in our culture, a lot of things get said about topics like depression. And too often there is this attempt to sort of conceal mental pain in our culture. 
I have heard people deny or dismiss the idea that they or their spouse or a friend is going through something. And I believe that one of the jobs of the church is to help bring these kinds of conversations out of the shadows and into the light. Front and center where we can talk about it, where we can say with confidence, we believe as people of God, anything, is, anything can be talked about. There's no topic that's off limits. And that we can help make it easier for people to say, my heart is broken. Easy, as easy for someone to say my heart is broken as it is for them to say that my tooth hurts. And I want you to hear me on this, right? That you don't have to have experienced depression in order to walk alongside someone that is or has experienced it. We don't have to have personally experienced it in order to climb down into the pit with someone. You can listen. You can let them know that you're there to love them. You can let them know that you're there to help carry their burden. Right? That's, Paul says in Galatians 6, that's one of the primary jobs we have as the church, right? is to be burden carriers, not fixers, burden carriers. It's okay to say, you know, I haven't been where you are, but I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. I'm here to help carry the burden if I'm able to. And what, what would you be doing, think about it, if you were to say something like that to someone? What you're doing is you're attempting to create a safe space for them. You're, you're attempting to create human connection with them, right? And if you're experiencing depression this morning, I want you to hear me say that you're not alone, what I said a minute ago. As I think about Galatians 6 and Paul's charge to the church to be people who bear burdens, who carry burdens, if we are to be burden bearers, like Paul says, it, it means that there are burdens to bear. So we might as well stop pretending like there aren't burdens to bear. Right? That this, this is a reality that all of us experience. None of us is strong enough to get through this life on our own. We need one another. We need human connection, which we, we have found in the body of Christ. It's one of, the, one of the many benefits of being part of a church family. That we care for each other. That we run toward one another's pain and not away from one another's pain. That we bear burdens as the body of Christ. Sometimes what we need as, a, as an outgrowth of that experience that we have is counsel or is, is therapy, sometimes medication. But always what we need, I know you'll hear Aaron and Matt and Betty talk about this in a minute, always what we need is community, is connection with other people. And we're not, we're not called to bear the burdens that we've experienced in life alone. None of us were. We are not able to do that. We need other people. It's not a sign of weakness to admit that. I actually would say it's a sign of wisdom to acknowledge that. And so this morning, if you're experiencing depression, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to resist that urge to, to deny the need that you have for other people, connection with others. Right? It might be easier said than done, and I realize that. But sharing the burden is the first step toward making the burden lighter. I want to close with, uh, with this thought. Psalm 23 is probably, arguably, the most well-known passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. A psalm that compares God to a shepherd and compares us to sheep. And there's this powerful line in Psalm 23, verse 3, where David says, he said, he makes me, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then he says this line, he restores my soul. 
He restores my soul. And I want to highlight this part of this psalm for just a minute as we close. Because I think to really appreciate this psalm and specifically this line of the psalm, you have to think about sheep and shepherds. And we don't have many of those around in our world today that we see on a regular basis that are a part of our everyday lives. But what this psalm is describing, we may, you might not know, is real life. It's a real life situation. Right? Sometimes a sheep out in the field would become injured for one reason or another and would be unable to stand. And this will happen in your life too. Sometimes you're going through green pastures, you're being led beside quiet waters, and sometimes when you're not going by green pastures or beside quiet waters, sometimes you're going to be injured and unable to stand. And so in, in what the psalmist is describing is that when a sheep would be injured, some sheep would attempt, because we're sheep and this is what we do, to, to try to, you know, resolve our own problem. And so sometimes they might try to get up and walk and they would realize that they can't and so they would fall. So when they eventually got to a point where they realized they couldn't fix it on their own, they would take shelter in a depression in the ground. Remember I told you a minute ago that the word depression is derived from the Latin word which means to press down. They would literally, a sheep would literally press itself down into a low place in the ground. So when you see that line in the psalm, he restores my soul. It's actually carrying with it this image of a shepherd stooping down to lift a sheep up out of the depression that it has created, that it's placed itself in, this low place in the ground, and helping it stand and walk again, nursing it back to health caring for it like a shepherd does for the sheep. And what I want to, us to take away from that this morning is the reminder that God is in the shepherding business, right? Lifting us up out of the low places in our lives, nursing us back to health, getting us back on our feet, able to stand on solid ground. And whether you've engaged in this series over the last several weeks as a way to be better equipped in your own life as you walk with other people who are experiencing some of the things we've talked about, or if you've engaged in this series because you are currently experiencing or you have experienced some of the things that we're talking about, whatever place that you're at, my hope is that each of us has seen over the last several weeks very clearly that God is our shepherd, that the great shepherd loves you, and is interested in restoring and refreshing your soul. That the shepherd has noticed you and is noticing you when you are in those pressed down moments of life. And the, the shepherd is interested in not only nursing you back to health, but guiding you along right paths, the rest of verse 3 says, for his name's sake. So that even though you're going to continue to walk and there's going to be dark valleys, you can fear no evil because you know that the shepherd is there. And this shepherd is who we come to today and every day as we navigate this life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come this morning thankful. Thankful that you are a God that...
that cares for us like the shepherd does the sheep. And our prayer is uh, that prayer from Psalm 23. That we acknowledge you, God, as our shepherd. And because of this, we know we lack nothing. We're thankful that you, in certain seasons of life, you make us lie down in green pastures and you lead us beside those quiet and still waters. But we are also thankful, God, that you are a God that when we are in the low moments of life, pressed down, downcast, laying down in those low spots along the ground, that you are the God that comes to us, scoops us up, and restores and refreshes our soul. That helps to put us back on our feet, guiding us on right paths for your name's sake. And that no matter what we experience, the lowest lows of life or the mountaintop experiences of life, that you are there with us every step of the way. We're thankful for the stories that we see in Scripture of people who have experienced all sorts of different kinds of emotions and responses to their circumstances in life. And we're thankful that we uh, can have those stories to help us help inform how we think about our own experiences and our own journey in this life. I'm thankful, Father, for these important conversations that we've been having. I'm thankful for a church who has been willing to, to kind of go on this courageous journey of leaning into these topics and these conversations, uh, something that is not common and is not always accepted in the larger Christian world where many people think we shouldn't talk about this kind of stuff. I'm thankful for a context and a setting like this where we can do this together, learning, questioning, asking, wrestling, coming to you with our thoughts and our questions, going to Scripture to look and to see what it is that you have to say about these things. I pray, God, that you'll continue to use the stories, the songs, the study that we've done in your word to shape and form our hearts, uh, help in, inform and encourage us so that we can live more faithfully as your people uh, here in this world. We love you, Father. We're thankful to Christ. And we pray this morning in his name. And the church said, Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing another song for our shepherd's prayer. I want, you, I want to remind you to please stick around, uh, come down to the front. We're going to have a really great panel discussion uh, this morning after our worship service is done.